They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. We are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Today, we are joined by another follically challenged pastor, <laughs> a good friend of mine who we've known each other since, what, 97? 97. 1997. Uh, t- pastor Tim Crick, who is now the pastor of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, and the two of us are actually sitting together in the church. In the church. And uh, Joe is in another part of the country. That's He's in right. undisclosed really? location. <laughs> For my I protection. Three of us be together. Uh, it's too dangerous if something happened to all three of us. Designated <laughs> survivor, Joe McGarry. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Tim. Welcome, welcome. Jeff. Welcome, Joe. It's, it's so start. great to have you on, Tim, and to have you in our area. Now, we haven't uh, officially met in person yet, but getting to know each other online, and it's good to uh, to hear your voice and to have you on the podcast. Hey, thank you very much. It's uh, it's great to be here. So I'm making my podcast debut with you two today. All right. So uh, I don't know if this is meaning you're reaching your peak or you're reaching your you're down in the valley at this point. We'll see what happens afterwards. Well, we're hoping to get picked up for another season. So we'll see. You. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So Tim was at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Combined Locks, Wisconsin, near Appleton, uh, up in kind of the Door County area, right? No, is that Fox River Valley? Fox River, half hour south of Green Bay yeah. is uh, an easy way for people to know we're at top of Lake Winnebago. And you were the pastor there for how long? Uh, coming up, it would have been nine years this summer, but I did my internship there. So I would say I was there a better part of 10 years. Wow. During your tenure, a lot of things happened, and um, all good things, but I just— Depending who you ask. Right. (laughs) But you did a a lot of work leading that congregation through a a lot of change, Mm -hmm. and I thought maybe part of our conversation today we could talk about some of those things. So maybe if you want to just give an overview of your time there, and then maybe we can ask some follow-ups or or fill in the gaps. Yeah, some of the um, major changes that went on. Um, when I came, like I said, I did my internship there. Um, so I had my supervisor and the associate pastor were there. So I was the third on the pastoral staff, so to speak. It went after I finished, I went back to my senior year of seminary and they had talked about starting a satellite actually would have been their third site. The original church started in 1980. They started a second site in about 95, And as areas nearby were growing and I had a call to be a mission start, they thought, oh, here's a good time to maybe try it again. They still saw themselves as a young congregation, which is great, and a multiplying congregation. So I actually came back to interview to do a mission start, uh, a third site. Through a course of events, that never occurred because my supervisor ended up leaving the ministry. Uh, He is now a counselor and does a lot of marriage and family therapy. So (laughs) very similar work in many ways. Uh, just doing it in a different but he, way. He probably has actual regular hours. Uh, I, the, <laughs> I don't know. He says he actually says he works more now than he ever has before. Oh wow! <laughs> I crossed that one off yeah, the list. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be a counselor. So when he left, the conversation quickly turned to not starting a 
another site, but instead having me come back as uh, the associate or a second pastor. So they had the original site and the second site. So my office was in the second site, the smaller of the two churches. And, and size of the church is always relative to the area. So out here, both of those would have been considered very large churches out compared to New England churches in the Midwest. The second site was, it could have been on the smaller side, had maybe 150, 200 in worship. And the main site had 400 in worship, 450 or something like that. So I came and I took that second site, um, but we are one church in two locations. Through the course of events, my colleague uh, at that time uh, took a new call. And so I became the de facto senior pastor and I, my office had already moved to the larger of the two sites. So now we had a lot of conversations. What are we going to do? Because you have to know who you are before you decide what kind of pastor you're, what pastor you're going to call. Are we one church or are we two churches? Are we going to remain one or is it now time to celebrate this and become, go from a parent daughter church to sister churches? And so uh, we had a lot of conversations, brought in a consultant, Blair Anderson from Kairos. Uh, they're located in Minneapolis. And uh, through those conversations, we decided we really were two churches and it was time to celebrate that. And the second site already had their own confirmation. They already had their own Sunday school. They had their own vacation Bible school. There were very few people that actually went back and forth. And the town that second site was in, Sherwood, is really a bedroom community of Appleton. Um, but while it might have only been, you know, an hour away for majority of people, um, so very few people went back and forth. So through a lot of conversation, we decided to say, you know what, we really are two churches. Let's celebrate that. We did. The second site in Sherwood started their own um, own council. They called their own pastor. Uh, they are now totally independent. And where I was in combined locks. Obviously, at 400, 450 people, it was too large for one. So we got went through several interims, retired pastors that came in and helped us and called a second pastor eventually. Um, and so I kind of helped through all of that change. In the meantime, there's also building projects to go on. We had to double the size of a parking lot, um, leased it out to the high school that was literally uh, right behind us. You just have other funerals or pastoral emergencies come up. I think during that time, there were seven or eight suicide funerals that I oh, had. Wow. You know, just other things. So it is very good 10 years, uh, I like to think. Um, good ministry was done, but then it was just time to, to start somewhere new. And so that's what we opened it up and said, it's time for time for us to live somewhere outside the Midwest. And this is where we ended up in Newington, New Hampshire. We live nearby in Dover and... Uh, I won't say change is easy. Change is very hard. But I will say, um, by and large, I think change is very good. So you said you had a lot of conversations with uh, folks at your church and trying to find some sort of vision or, or direction. Can you talk a little bit more about that and some of the processes that you you found helpful in, in doing that? Yeah, you know, Blair Anderson, he really was invaluable for me personally uh, that we had through Kairos. And uh, he had a couple things that really stuck with me. He said, don't vote to decide, right? So many times congregations have the conversations. They're not sure what's going to go on. They go to an annual meeting. They go to a congregational meeting. Now we're going to vote and decide, and they don't know what's going to happen. Right. He said, what happens then is you have a winner and a loser. Yep. Yeah. And winners are happy. Losers are upset. He's like, look at the political landscape of the country today. Somebody loses, so now they don't want the winners to succeed because they're sore about losing. Yep. 
He's like, don't go to a vote to decide. Put in the work ahead of time. So when you finally decide to vote, you already know what's going to happen. So it's an affirmation of what you've already talked about. Yes. You go in and there's a good energy. This is You're saying this is what we're going to do. And you're now making it official. When he came in and met, uh, just to help us decide what might be the right direction, he met with a total of two, three hundred people. But then we we had as many open meetings as possible to hear as many different points of view as possible. And so people all had a chance to affirm or question the decision. Now, you always have those people that after you decide, they said, I didn't know. I didn't know you're going to do this. And you literally had the conversation the day before what you were going to do. Right, right, right. Right? Right. Uh, for some reason, it just doesn't sink in. So you have to know that and you have to take those things with a grain of salt. And whenever you hear opposition, you always have to understand, I think, where it's coming from. Is it coming from five people, but it's all the same group within the church? So it's really just yeah. one small group. Or is it five people that are all not connected at all to each other? Right. And so you give those different weights or you give or them it, different energy. Or is it five people thinking they represent 50, but really it's just five people? It's right. Yeah. You know, so you're always you always have your antenna up for those kind of things on how much energy you need to give when you are getting pushback and why you're getting pushback. And I think so much of the time it is just listening. People want to be heard. If they feel they are heard and you took what they said to heart. You don't necessarily have to do what they think as long as they feel heard. They'll go, okay, they listen to me. I'll go along with what they're doing. Not that it's not, you're always going to have the squeaky wheel that's always going to be squeaky no matter what. Um, but I think that, so we try to do that as much as possible. In leadership, we try to speak with a unified voice also. From leadership, there wasn't the council president saying one thing, someone else on council saying another, someone on staff saying another. And so the word gets out to the congregation is, wait, why are we doing this? And nobody really knows. Right. Instead, we were very, we really tried to be unified in what we were doing. And so it was very consistent message across the board and it had to be true. Right. right? Yeah. It had to be true. Yeah. It couldn't be partial truths or it couldn't be too, um, tweaked, so to speak, um, to fit what you want or, or just say what we want and everyone knows it's it's a lie. It has it really has to be true. So the other thing that Blair Anderson said was don't worry about how you're going to make a decision happen before you make a decision. Like, don't worry about making the right decision. Make a decision and make it the right decision. Mm. He's like so often Churches, they'll decide, okay, we want to do this. Okay, well, let's not vote on it yet. Let's make sure we know exactly how it's going to happen. Then you get so caught up in the details of it. You get so caught up in the minutia. You get so caught up in other things that you're like, oh, we just can't do it. So we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're letting the details drive the decision. You're letting the difficulty of it drive the decision. He's like, what you need to do, decide what you're going to do. Make that decision, vote on that or or whatever it might be. And then figure out how you're going to make that happen. Yeah. And so know what you want, affirm what you want and then figure out how to do it and figure out how to do it. And you'll figure it out. Yeah. He's like, but so often churches go the other way. They have to figure out exactly how it's going to happen. And they get to go so bogged down because they don't even have affirmed on the mission of what they want to do. Right. There isn't that. 
uh, the energy of look at what this is going to be the end product. They're so focused on on getting there, they can't see the 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 goal, and it loses its steam. Yeah. So make a decision and make it the right decision. Don't worry about what the right decision is, uh, and that I found really valuable as well. So when we so in this case when we decided. All right. It is. We need to become two churches. Like, let's affirm that we have two vibrant, growing congregations. Let's vote on that. And now, what are those steps we need to do to make sure that that both can succeed? And so then we went through. Okay, we have debt. How do we divide up the debt? Um, count. What is this this new church need council wise? Oh, already on council we have multiple representatives. It, it just whatever it might be, Sunday school curriculum. Well, we bought it before through both. How do we get it now for this other one? Uh, can we do that? Can we not? Musicians. Um, do, do we have musicians that play at both or musicians that only play at one? How's that all going to work? Or what do we want to stay t- joined together? Are there, are there ways in which we still want to remain yoked, yet informal yoking right. of it? So th- those are then become fun conversations as opposed to this uh, work and we don't know what's going to happen. You've already made the decision and you're excited about it. You want to make that happen because you know you believe it's what's best. So I've got a process question. So when you had these conversation with folks, how did how did the, how did you do that? Was it like a cottage meeting setup? Did you put small groups together? Uh, was it a big group presentation? What was the format that got you there? Yes, to all of that. Okay, right. So and, and timing and all that. Uh, yeah. Timing. So whenever you have meeting, you know, you well, one, you're never going to get everybody. Right. So like I said, you're always going to have somebody who's not going to who's going to be upset that says they didn't have an opportunity. So you, you just know that going in. And then you try and provide as many opportunities as possible. And there's something Blair Anderson had said, too. He's like, I, as a pastor, when he was doing this, he, he tried to get to the quilters, the men's Bible study, the Tuesday morning study, whatever it might be. He tried to be there just to be around. Hey, do you have questions? Um, but then when you had open meetings, you set them at different times. Uh, we had two services on Sunday morning. So we did a meeting during the service. So the people that went to the late service, they could go to the early meeting. People that went to the early service, they went to the late meeting. We had one in the evenings, but we had it on, on different days because some people, they always have Tuesday night book because their kids always have soccer and the other kid has dance. And so they can't make any meetings on Tuesday. So you can't just offer a meeting on Tuesday night. You have to give it another night. Uh, some people won't go to any meeting because they don't want to speak out loud, but you give them a sheet of paper, they'll write on it. So we had a box that just, you know, the comp, you know, just a typical comment box that they were able to leave things in. That's the blue square one with the three triangles in a circle, right? That is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you do that. You you uh, give an email address. So we use constant contact extensively. So there was always updates out there. And if you have any questions, you have any concerns, please use this email. And then so you just try to give as many opportunities as possible for people to voice their opinion. So you had this when you uh, process when you were talking about, you know, these two churches, whether they're going to stay together as one church or divide up. Now, for those who might be listening to say, well, that's not our situation, but there are things that we need to do to figure out as a con- congregation, whether it's, you know, a, a different vi- uh, vision that or direction that our congregation needs to go in or some other decision. Like, how can this 
be made applicable for other churches in different situations? Is it yeah. universal or, or what do you think about that? Absolutely. You know, so very few churches now are, are, are about our have to do with growth, unfortunately, right? I would say Multiplying. in our context out here, it's more congregations coming together than splitting. I mean, right. It could be dividing com- up. It so could be. Are you having a conversation with somebody that, that are we're going to join? It could be a new worship service because that's a big thing. It could be uh, maybe it's a, I know, Jeff, you just went through building renovation projects. So what are the focuses going to be? It's what are those topics? What are those decisions going to have to be? in which you need to have some kind of plan going forward to make it happen. I also would say it's so helpful for leadership to come up with a recommendation for people to nitpick at, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to have this large group, okay, what are we going to do as a church? I, I almost think that's too... Um, too open? Too open. You know, you can do that in general, but I think at some point you need to have leadership say, here's what we want to do. And now you're putting that out there to the people and let them push back against it. Right. So at least there's something to start with. Mm-hmm. And you might, and I, I, I do think you might need to take some ideas in just to what are we going to do? But, but leadership, a pastor, whatever it might be, needs to put together some kind of plan of this is what we want to work toward. What do you guys now think? Just just to get the ball rolling. Otherwise, and other people might think otherwise, um, you know, so there isn't any, as far as I go, I can just share my story of what I've done and what I believe has worked. Um, I'm a firm believer in it's never, here are the five steps to success and those five steps will work any place. Yeah. Right. It right, is right. always contextual. We do our best <coughs> and we use others as a guide. Could you talk a little bit, because... Most of us haven't worked with consultants that much. Yeah. How how did it work with say like your church staff working with the consultant, maybe your pastoral staff, and then how did it work with your leadership team, you know, your council? I mean, what what was kind of the relationship and how did that? Yeah. How was it good? What what could have been better about it? How did you feel going through that process? Yeah, because consultants be kind of like geese; they shit over everything and leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's what consultants can be known for is they just kind of put it out there. Yeah, but they don't have to deal with it. Um, And I would say I think the vast majority of people liked it. um, But I know there were some that still thought they came in with agenda or they were picked by (laughs) Pastor Tim or whatever to get something through that they wanted to get through. I mean, that's just I think that's just part of it. What I liked about it, the consultant came and they met with counsel one night. The consultant came and they came to staff meeting one day. The consultant came in and they asked me to pick, uh, I think, 25 people from the congregation and of different demographics. So we want men, women, young, old, uh, who's involved in what, who's been there three or less years, who's been there 10 or less years, who's been there 30 or more years, right? So he spoke with a whole wide range of people, uh, before he put forth his recommendation as well. And also, because not everybody can be invited to speak one-on-one. Right. I mean, that takes a long time. He then also um, opened up, and then we set up several times in which were just large group gatherings. Sunday morning, Monday night, where you would get 30, 40, 50 people um, for him to listen to, him just to take in ideas. Okay. 
So it was more like a feedback session kind of. It was just, yeah. here's what we're, th- you know, here's the dilemma we're facing of a pastor is le- a pastor is left. We know we need to call another pastor. Here's the situation we're in. So let's get input on it. So then council could take all of that and put forth a plan of this is how we want to proceed. And that plan then can get pulled apart, picked apart, affirmed, change, tweak. And then when it seems like, oh, people are really excited about this plan, that's when we called the vote. So while we didn't have a set time frame on it, we knew we wanted to, to move sooner than later. We didn't want it to drag on. But when the whole thing started, we didn't say our congregational vote is going to be on April 24th after the second service at 1130 a.m. Right. When we felt like we had good support through all those conversations, then we said, "Okay, we're going to do this vote in two weeks. Let's get the word out to everybody because in everybody's constitution, you have, you know, guidelines on how you have to publicize a congregational vote. Yeah. But but back to your question, Joe, sorry if we got off topic. It it could be with any difficult decision the congregation is facing, whether it has to do with the building, whether it has to do with closing, whether it has to do with uh, expanding. Maybe maybe a church is closing. They want to, um, um, you know, they, they can no longer afford the building, but they know they still have life left in them somehow. I think that is uh, going to be a great. So I think we need pastors to have visions on, man, this is what this can be. Let me put it out there to a group of people and let them pull, pick it apart and then move forward. But but we need some people with visions to put out that. And then we um, need some people that are willing to buy in and, and go forward with it. Right. So now here you are, you're in a new place, mm-hmm. a new congregation, new, totally different context, New England than the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Not specifics, because you don't know yet, but now that you're in a new place, do you have kind of like a plan of attack? Just kind of the way you're going about yeah. getting to know what's going on and how to think about the future? Uh, so I just try and learn from other people uh, that have been, you know, Jeff, you've been. I find that never works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jeff, you've been through that. We have other people that have been in new jobs or other friends that are new pastors. And um, right now it's listening. It's and I set up a lot of times with one on one with people. Hey, you want to go for a coffee? I did, one of the musicians for the eight thirty service here we went out for a beer yesterday afternoon. Um, have people into the office. You know, I will abide. I remember a professor at Wartburg Seminary, Craig Nesson. He had said, as a new pastor at a church, you can't change anything within the first year. You're going to make everybody mad. He's like, but as a new pastor in a church, you have to change something within the first year, or you'll never change anything again. Right. <laughs> Right. So it's finding that balance of what do I change that in the end doesn't really matter and that I feel adds something to the ministry here as opposed to taking something away that's not working. Right. Because people will be threatened by that. Oh, they're taking this away. We're doing something wrong. Affirm what they're doing and add something to it of my of who I am as a pastor and what I see ministry as. And let people respond positively to that. So uh, one of the things I very consciously did, I guess, two things. And I know it's not very common out here in New England, but I don't wear an alb on Sunday morning. I just wear my clerical collar. He just wears it Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. (laughs) But I just wear my clerical collar on Sunday morning. I don't wear my alb during worship. And uh, 
part of that. And I told them uh, during my first Sunday, this is this is how I've been. And uh, this is why. And I go a lot of times those the, from my understanding, the alb is more of a baptismal sign. So very plain. So you don't stand out. It's it's well, I don't want to say there's nothing special about me, but because there's something very special about us in baptism. But it's it's meant to be simple. So often then when you get the alb, you get the stole, you get the chalice, you get all that other stuff. It's almost to me, it seems like it's doing the opposite yeah, it's yeah. highlighting the pastor and the special role that they have. And I'm the most important person here. Right. And for me, I wanted to say, hey, we're all important. And so the other thing I did, I don't sit up front and face a congregation along with what they call the liturgical deacon. I sit in the front with my family and I move up there and I have the liturgical deacon and the acolytes sit in the congregation, move up. And I said, we're all here worshiping. Liturgy means work of the people. It's something we all do together. You are not here observing what someone else is doing. You are here participating in it. So I said, I'm going to sit with everybody else out in the congregation. And when it's whosever turn it is to lead that part of the service, they will go up all from one setting. Wow. Right. So I'm, I'm adding to, I, I mean, I guess I'm changing something, but I think it's an adding to, and there's, there's reasoning behind it. It's not just because you don't like it or something. Right. 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 You know, uh, and I think people respond to that. You know, it's just a minor change. It doesn't affect them at all, right? It doesn't affect their worship experience one bit because they can sit in their same chair the same Sunday every week and their experience isn't any different. So in doing that, did you get any pushback at all or people be like, okay, whatever you want to do? No, people – I think when people understand why, Mm -hmm. they're much more likely to go along with it. The opposite experience. Oh. I, I didn't wear my robe in the summer when one year I was here, the first year I was here, and it's all the only thing I ever heard about. It. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "It's not worth it." It's not worth it because it, it honestly is not something I care yeah. about. And right. so I just said, "Fine, you're clearly not listening to anything else. You're just worried about what I'm wearing." So right, whatever. And that and that's so frustrating. As very, I think that happens so often in in churches. People get so caught up, and this is what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah. This is the way the church is. And how are we, they can't even see a future that is anything different than who they are now. Right. And it's society that needs to change to fit into them as opposed to how do we, we change not to fit into society, but how do we change to connect with society? Right. So when people walk in our doors, they're open to what's going on. And I will, I will, I'm adamant about, I am not about growing the church. My job is not to grow the church. And I said that in sermons, I said that in interviews, my job is not to grow the church. That does not mean I don't want the church to grow, but that is not my goal. That is not my primary focus. Cause if my goal is to get the church to grow, then I'm just concerned about how do I get butts in the seats? And now I've turned people that come in the doors as consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Then I'm just concerned about what do they like. I better play music that they like. I better give a message that they like. I better have whatever it is that they like. Well, that's a never-ending battle because it's there's too many people, and then you're just chasing the next fa- the latest fad. Yeah. Right. I always want worship to be genuine, authentic. Um, how do we take off the mask and how do we be here together? And I believe that will lead to growth in the long run, but it's not a short-term growth strategy. So in, in some of the way things that you're, you're doing a little differently, um, and I know when Jeff or I have done things differently as well, we, we get some of that, that feedback or pushback and saying, 
well, this is this is a Lutheran way of doing it. Right. You know, you're not you're you're trying to hide your Lutheran identity, or or the other side. We want to do it the, the way God wants, and we don't care about that Lutheran thing. Like, how, <laughs> how do you how do you walk that line in in what you do, and do you hear that at all? Uh, I Shut have, the door in your uh, office yeah. and cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, the Lutheran way. There is not a Lutheran way. No, I I think the primary Lutheran way has to do with our theology. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I'm not changing the theology, and I love tradition. Right. So it's also given respect to those that have gone before us. And so I will I like a liturgical service, but I don't want it to be rote. What I like about liturgy is we are building off of those people who have gone before us. Right. What I want to do is have the opportunity for us today to add our voices to it. So I don't want to get rid of uh, the liturgy. I don't want to get rid of like the great Thanksgiving that we say the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let's get things right. I mean, that's something that's been said for 2000 years uh, that I think was Justin Martyr wrote down the Didache when the early church was trying to figure out how to take communion. Right. Right. I mean, that's where that came from. So yeah. when we say that we're we're not just speaking words in Newington, New Hampshire or combined locks or. Old Saybrook or you and your undisclosed location, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right? We're saying words that have been said across all space and time for 2,000 years and will be said for who knows how much longer. I think that's an important thing about the Psalms too, right? I, we don't say a Psalm every Sunday, but we will occasionally. I mean, Psalms, what, whatever it is, half of them are laments. Right. People crying out to God saying, "Where? excuse me, but where the f- are you? I mean, right. isn't that Jesus Christ on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. The, the downside, of course, is a lot of uh, congregational traditions come as if they're like these ancient traditions that we've carried over as well. And then the other the, the rebuttal to it is always, but somebody decided to do this at some point, right? Right. <laughs> right. So and can't we make a decision? <laughs> right. 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 And so that is, uh, I think what you said, right? Um, some of those things within our churches have, we need to read not just respect of a whole Lutheran tradition, but our own individual church's right. tradition. Right. Yeah. Some of them will use, some of them need to be gone with also. How do we add our voice to it? And we need to allow space to have voices added. And there's things that have happened in the past that are no longer done, which means we need to be okay with things that we have done in the past that we are no longer going to do. Right. Churches, someone had said this, how many churches are still around from the early church days? You know, like the one, two hundreds, none. They all saw, had a lifespan. Yeah. So I think we need to be okay with saying churches have a lifespan and not necessarily. I can see the pitchforks and torches coming out <laughs> right. right now, Tim. <laughs> right. Wait, so hold, is that the bishop calling me? He's listening to the podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. And will that allow something new to be born Mm -hmm. because we've allowed something to die and not look at death as a failure right now when a church closes people are are upset because they failed so can we not look at it as a failure it's not that we failed it's that you failed (laughs) (laughs) but can we look at it it's life and churches are living breathing yeah organism, so to speak, right? 
and they don't last forever. And so that's do a funeral okay. and proclaim the resurrection. You got it. What are we going to be reborn as? Yeah. So Tim, you want to switch gears a little bit? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You want to talk? You have a blog. I know you haven't written out in a few weeks, but um, mm -hmm. especially with the transition. But you want to talk about? You call it the intentional project. The intentional project. You want to talk a little bit about how that came about? Uh, your tagline: "Don't be a jerk." Yeah. And uh, where you're. Going. I don't do a very good job of living into that. I'd say it, but I don't. Where do it. Where you're going with some of the projects you want to work on a little bit yeah. when you finally the dust settles here for you? Sure. Uh, so for all you uh, three listeners out there, theintentionalproject.com. Well, we lost them all when you said your church was going to close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so in theintentionalproject.com is my blog. I started it a little over a year ago. Um, the whole point of it is uh, why I started writing it. Life moves too fast. Um, my first blog post uh, and you'll see it where it says, if you, if you go to that website, you'll go to start here and it tells this story. Uh, two and a half years ago, summers ago, I'm outside with my kids. It's like a Tuesday, Wednesday night during the summer, July, just a beautiful night. And I get home from meeting at church and my wife, and Vicki and kids are outside in the driveway and they've got chalk out and they made a road on the driveway and they're riding their scooters all around it. And my kids at that point are, are you know, One's a teenager, the other ones, you know, are like 11 and nine, something like that. But they're generally not riding on chalk in the driveway too much anymore. You know, it's not something that's done nearly as common. But here they are, it's dusk, and they're riding on the chalk in the driveway, riding their scooters around. Someone's got music playing. Uh, my wife's got an adult beverage in her hand. It just was a perfect. So I go inside, put my stuff down, come out, and we just – it's one of those things all's right in the world. Yep. I get a little lump thinking about thinking about it in my throat. My son says, he's like, oh, I got to go in. He had just had basketball games earlier uh, for the summer league, and he had a basketball camp in the morning that he had to get up for. So he goes in to go to bed. And it really it wasn't overly late, you know, for a summer, you know, I mean, yep. it's dark, it's 930, whatever. And then my wife says she has to go in to get ready for the work the next day, too, and make her lunch and make sure clothes are, are done, whatever it might be. So then it's just me and my two youngest kids. And we're my one of them had a blanket outside, so the three of us are laying on top of the blanket, looking up at the stars, and my youngest son goes in and gets his own blanket. And instead of laying it out uh, so we have more room on the ground, we all snuggle in on one and put the blanket on top of us. I mean, talk about as a dad, yeah. your heart about to burst. Yeah. yeah. Right. It doesn't get any better than that. And we're looking at the stars and just dreaming and talking. And do you think there's anything out there? And it comes up about God and what do they want to do when they grow up? And then I say, time to go in. And they say, no, five more minutes. <laughs> Happy you argue with that. Right. And immediately I sense myself getting frustrated because I want to say, no, it's time to go in. I'm irritated that they're not just listening to me. And so in too short a voice, I know I say something like, no, you always ask five more minutes. Time to get inside. When in reality, I wanted five more minutes, too. Yeah. yeah. But I knew I was like, you know, we got the next day. They had to get up. One of them had summer school. Another one had this. And I was just like, what are we doing with our lives? We're so busy doing things. We aren't actually being together. And so the whole blog started from there. How am I more intentional about my life? Making the decisions today that create the life I want tomorrow 
and the life I want today. Because all these things that we said, the basketball camp, summer school, they're all good. It's not bad. But sometimes it's too much of a good thing is, is too much, I guess. And it's just because it sounds good at the time doesn't mean it'll sound good when we actually have to do it. So how do we just be more intentional uh, and slow down and stop? So that's what I wanted to write about. Uh, whether it's money, life, faith, relationships, mindfulness, meditation. Um, so at first I was trying to write every week. I just didn't have the time or the energy, I guess, for that. You know, it's always those goals, uh, but life gets in the way. So I, I wrote a couple times a month, once a month. Uh, lately, I haven't writ- written much. I wrote about my own depression for a little bit. That received a lot of feedback on it because that's something a lot of people like. So I try and be authentic in the blog, honest, real. Uh, let's not put on the face. Let's say what we're all – we just need people to say what we're thinking, mm. right? Yeah, and when it's said, it's like, yes, thank you. No one's going to be like, I can't believe you just said that because we all feel it. So maybe that's Except what, when you tell them their church is going to close. <laughs> close. Then half the people know <laughs> because they've already left. <laughs> Which is why it's going to close. Right. Yeah. Um, but how do we how do you just be more intentional in our lives? Uh, and then actually, so Jeff had mentioned I've kind of taken a break from it. Because another blog post that received a lot of traction that I would like to explore more with was called I'm a Christian Who Believes. And uh, I actually want to turn that into that's a working title of a book, because what I want to do, I feel like there is this uh, assumption of what Christianity is in the world. And it's not at all the faith that I hold dear or that I believe uh, the two of you hold dear or that so many people hold dear. So often what they think it's anti-science, anti-LGBTQ, um, hypocritical, only a small group of people are going to heaven and the rest of you are screwed. And the creation is an evil place and we just have to escape it and go somewhere else. Uh-huh. And that's not what I've taught in seminary. It's not what I was taught growing up. I don't think it's what the ELCA, what so many mainline denominations are about, whether it's Methodism, whether it's Episcopalians, um, but it's a really twisted form of, of Christianity. Right. And it came up because I had a conversation with somebody over a fellowship of Christian athletes chapter going on at the school. And I had had issues with the person who had run it before and had raised those issues. So the new person, you know, just he knew he didn't really know the issues that I had. He just knew I was a local pastor church right in front of the high school that uh, I knew a lot of the kids. And would I be willing to sit and talk? And through our conversations at the end, he's like, I've never heard a pastor say they believe in evolution. They're in support of LGBTQ and um, they believe everyone will be saved. And uh, I thought, I can't believe he's been in church for how long and he's never heard those things. In fact, he's heard the opposite of it. Right. Right. So I wrote about this and I heard a lot of feedback of thank you for saying that. Thank you for um, um, putting that out there. I believe that, too. I have thought the same thing. And so I want to take those ideas and turn them into a book titled I'm a Christian Who Believes just to give another voice to – can I get political for a moment real quick? Sure. Not all Christians are supporters of Donald Trump. <laughs> right? I've already right. alienated three quarters. Of I know. <laughs> the last quarter. Just, yeah, just alienate the last right? of our audience. That's fine. But it's, it's, it's the uh, 
and not all of not all evangelicals are like that, but but right. so much of the evangelical conservative church um, that I feel it seems to have sold its soul to the devil to remain in power with Donald Trump. They, so many people think this is what the Christianity is, and I think I it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. And so, how do we give voice to some of these things that uh, we believe in? Because I, if I didn't grow up in a Christian church, in the church that I did. With the family that I did in the church that I did, I don't think I'd be in a church either today. Right. When I see what's what's going on, so I don't blame people for not walking in these doors. I don't know if I would if if I didn't have the the background that I had. I love when you have a conversation with somebody and they say, "Well, I don't believe in this or this or this or this," and I said, "Yeah, I don't either." Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good. You more than welcome, welcome. in our church. <laughs> And what I think is amazing, how many people within our own churches, though, right. do. do believe that. <laughs> they do. Because they, do. because they see talking heads on TV and, well, they must have authority because they're on TV, right? I mean, they automatically give that assumption and they're talking about Christianity. Right. And so they think that's what I believe, too. And that's not at all what we teach. And so much of it, I guess, is rooted in fear also. So I want to talk about this. So much of it, of it is rooted in fear. If you don't accept, then this is going to happen to you, right? If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, do you know where you're going to end up after you die? Right? So it's all rooted in fear. And I think our faith is anything I'm, but I'm rooted in cremated. fear. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about it, right? Then you don't have to worry about uh, our, our faith is rooted in love. God loves you. Right. Let's learn about what that love is like. And how do we know about God's love for us? The most full revelation we have is Christ on the cross. And so we understand God's love primarily through that lens and then what it means for us. And that's proclamation. That is good news. That's what the gospel is. I love N.T. Wright's book. Um, Simply good news. Yeah, all of them. (laughs) Simply good news where he talks about the gospel isn't a question. Right. And where it's how do you answer it? That determines whether it's good news. The gospel is simply good news. It's a proclamation. This is what God has done. This is how God feels about you. Right. That's what the business of the church needs to be in. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's the Lutheran perspective. Well, this, yes, it's a Lutheran perspective, but we think this is what Christianity is. Right. We're not tweaking Christianity to fit what we want. Right. We think this is what Christianity is. So we are Christians first with a Lutheran understanding of it. And there are other Christians with a fundamental understanding, Christians with a conservative understanding, Christians with a Methodist understanding. Right. It's not like there's Christianity and then Lutherans have tweaked it. Right. I mean, that's uh, that's just not true. Right. One part of the whole. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So our people in our own pews don't even know what we really believe. Right, right. Because there are so many. So that's so I guess it all comes back to that book. I'm taking a break from writing the blog because I want to write this book. And each chapter is a different uh, topic of I'm a Christian who believes. So I want to write I believe in evolution. I believe in the full inclusion of LGBTQ. I believe in the um, universal salvation. I believe um, – Boy, I had like eight, ten things right now. I'm blinking on them. I don't have those. Well, you have to get the book and yeah, get the book yeah, and you'll find out what those other ones are. Coming to you, Christmas 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get going. So we'll see what happens. But that's that's my my latest thing. I mean, 
you know, so we'll see what happens. Life is busy. You guys know how it is. You have family. Uh, Joe, you look like you're moving and yep. and uh, kids in, in your life now, if I understand correctly. And uh, Joe or Jeff, there's always stuff going on in, in your house with two kids, one a teenager, one on the cusp of being a teenager and family in the Midwest and trying to see them. I mean, it's yep. we do our best. I remember writing the blog <laughs> weekly for about three years and then I moved and I just couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. It was just the pace of things just escalated. Yeah. But, well, so, I, I want to thank you, Tim, for being on the podcast today. This has been uh, great to hear uh, some of your experiences and how we could uh, apply them into our life and our churches today. And, and uh, you know, I look forward to getting to know you more as you now are part of the New England Synod. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you, Joe. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you uh, this way virtually. Soon it'll be in person, I'm assuming, at uh, Synod Assembly coming up, if not before sometime. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, any uh, any last words before uh, we close out here? Uh, no, I have word. It's this is Wednesday afternoon when we are uh, recording this, so Jeff and I are going to eat dinner, go to worship, and have a beer. So <laughs> I hope Sounds everybody good. else, uh, if you're listening, have a great evening. Find a place to worship. Uh, good friends, good drink. God's blessings. Amen. Amen. Well, we are the two bald pastors. We are today the three bald pastors, uh, right. helping you connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Tim Crick. We hope you have a blessed day. Peace. Don't be a jerk. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Said, oh, now I'm blanking on it right away. What did I say the first time? Don't vote to decide, right? Yep. Um, oh, I always can't. remember the fine tuned points of your presentation. <laughs> always. I should have had this written down. A, B, C. Always be closing.